Well, today we start that journey to Christmas. We call it Advent. How many of you come from church traditions that practice some form of Advent? Okay, about half of you. Great. For the rest of you that know what um, we four Sundays heading up to Christmas Eve, and we focus on Advent. And so we have special Advent this year. Mark had this idea of doing a, a great Advent calendar. Okay. How many of you have used an Advent calendar? Okay. You know, you pull the thing out, move it to the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So Mark made this. I don't know where he is. He's back there in the back looking. So let's tell him thank you for making this. Hey, Mark, it's for you. <laughs> and we're not telling you what we're going to be talking about each week. We believe that at, you have some level of intelligence. We may be wrong about that, but we're making some assumptions. So we start by giving you clues. So you notice that we have angels and a shepherd and a shepherd's crook and a trumpet and a lamb. That probably... There may be a few of you that got the message from that. But in case you missed that, we then read the story of Luke 2. And in case you missed that, we're talking about the angels and the shepherds today. That's for the rest of you. <laughs> the announcers. This week is on the announcers. The children got together, children's ministry. I usually give Advent to the children's ministry. You tell me what to talk about, and I'll talk about it. I let them design it. So they designed it around a surprise. We're going to surprise you. The Christmas story is full of surprises. And so it's called the surprise of Christmas. So you can't go to the website and see what we're talking about. You have to be here to watch the children, see how they're dressed up, what clues come out of the Advent calendar, and then we're going to talk about it. That's what we're going to do. But first, let's say a couple of things about Advent. Advent is, uh, <clears throat> what is Advent? I mean, Rob said in the beginning, it's, it's a technical term because pastors and scholars like technical terms. You know, it just means appearing. Jesus Christ came. He appeared. And so there's one sense in which we are looking back and telling the story every year of Christ, His coming. But there's another sense which we're preparing ourselves for the second coming. We live between the two advents. And so we will have the privilege of remembering the first and enjoying the second. And so Advent is that time of the year when we are doing battle with the world. If you've been to the uh, malls, uh, it's fun, by the way. Go to the malls at Christmas time. It's great. But it's an illusion. True joy, we're going to talk about in just a minute, comes because of who the Lord is. And so, as a church, our desire is to help you prepare for Advent, to get used to it all month, thinking about the Lord and what's coming at Christmas. Enjoy what the world has to offer. It's fun. But don't be deceived. And don't let your gaze wander too far away from the Lord. Because that's what Satan would love to do. Distraction. So, everything we've done is designed to prepare you for Christmas. We're creating a culture, all these decorations, everything that you see up here, these traditions. So this is letting the children do it as a tradition, but this is a new part of the tradition. Lighting the candles. Some of you come from churches where you light candles. This is a very fun part of it. And um, enjoy it. We've said many times that traditions done well bring Christ into our world. 
I love the older language of 1 Corinthians. We see through a glass darkly, dimly. And so we're trying to get a glimpse of this world that we belong to, but we haven't experienced it yet. And so a tradition done well, just for a moment, brings clarity and Christ enters into our presence. So we're not doing this to make you feel good about yourselves, although we want that to happen. When you do your traditions and whatever it is you decide to do, do it to generate hope. Okay? So today, what does the front of your bulletin say? Joy. Okay? And so we're trying to create a culture over the next four weeks to help you experience the key elements of what Christmas is all about. And today it's about joy. And the shepherds brought that joy to the world. They brought that joy to the world. That's what this is about. You see, the whole thing about Advent is that we live on the edge. We live on the edge of expectancy, anticipation, eagerness. We can't wait. So imagine just for a moment, Ezekiel records the the glory of the Lord departing from the temple and the nation was exiled. And over 400 years later, the glory of the Lord had not come back. And you're one of those people living there. They rebuilt the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, but the glory of the Lord never returns. They knew, because all the prophets had told them their sin had not been forgiven yet. That's why they were exiled in the first place. And so the sin had to be forgiven in order for the glory of the Lord to come back. That's the basic storyline of the Bible. They waited over 400 years. Imagine being in that place over 400 years. And then you're Simeon, and you're in the temple. And the Lord tells Simeon, you're not going to die before you see the Lord's Messiah. That means God is finally coming back. Can you sense that eagerness, that anticipation, that expectation that something is about to happen that's good? So look what happens in the Luke story, Luke chapter 2. This is what Simeon says when he's finally holding the, the baby. Simeon took him in his arms and he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised... Because remember, in the passage before, he said, you will not die before you see the Lord's Messiah. As you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. What he's saying is, I've now seen the Messiah. I'm ready to go home. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all the nations. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He sensed that the glory was coming back. Ezekiel gives us a graphic picture of the glory leaving the temple. And he is one of the very first ones aware that the glory is coming. So the surprise, when we tell the story of Christmas all through this Advent season, there's a whole series of surprises that are going to float to the surface. This is one of them. They didn't quite understand it, though, because after Jesus rose from the dead, just before he ascended in Acts, he's talking to the disciples. And here's what they asked him. Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They're still waiting. You see, they, they're very familiar with, blow it hard, blow it hard. Come on, you can do it. They're, they, they were very familiar with the kingdom of David. It was the, the kingdom filled with lots of glory and the power of the Lord. And by the end of the time, the, the nations had been deported because of their sin, exiled. And so they're waiting for that kingdom to be restored. So they're asking the Lord, is it at this time? 
Can you sense that that eagerness, that expectation? Is is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? Well, they're thinking the kingdom like David. What they don't yet realize is that, yes, he has already established the kingdom. So it's about 30 years after this that Mark writes the first gospel. They had a lot of discussion in between those 30 years, what's going on. And so several of the gospel writers, the authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have language like, we remembered after he rose from the grave and ascended that he had said these things. And so while he's talking, they couldn't understand it. And it wasn't until later that they begin to make sense that the kingdom has come, but that is a surprise because it's not a military kingdom. This is the kingdom right here. And the glory of the Lord did return, but not to the physical temple, but to the spiritual temple. So Simeon, the disciples, they're all living this life of expectancy. That's what we want to generate during this month of expectancy. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord came back? Wouldn't that be the wildest thing if that happened? In your families, just like we create traditions up here that you become familiar with, if you've never done it in your family, I would encourage you to do it. This is one of the greatest places to teach your children the core message, the core theology of the Bible, the coming of the uh, the Messiah, the coming of Jesus, to forgive our sins, and to God to take up residence with us at Pentecost. So we have all kinds of things. Nancy and I, we have a, an Advent wreath like this one. That's how we do it. And we light it, you know, throughout the week. Um, and we read devotions together. In fact, this morning, if you haven't looked in your inbox, you'll have a devotion sent to you through the month of Advent. The season of Advent, all the elders and staff write devotions. We send them to you one at a time. So if you didn't get one today, that means we don't have your email address. Okay, there's a sign up sheet out there. You can put your email address down and you'll get it. But that's to help you. They're short just to reflect on a verse or reflect on an experience or a tradition or a memory. Everyone's different. They're from our staff and elders to help you just stay focused on who the Lord is and why we're here. So develop traditions in your family, whatever that looks like. And if your children are already grown, it doesn't matter. Develop them anyway. Nancy and I still do this. Uh, and our children are all grown. We still do it together. Encourage your adult children to do it with their children. Have the conversation with them. Okay. <clears throat> all of our traditions should propel us forward in hope. They should create within us a sense that something better is coming. Why come to church? Why come? If this is all there is, I'm really disappointed. (laughs) I've never met another human to go, yep, you're looking at nirvana. (laughs) Everybody's trying to get there. Why come to church? Isn't it because we have this deep, genuine hope that something better is there and is coming? Oh, we've tasted of the joy of the Lord now. We know what that looks like, but more is coming. And so build your traditions around that image. Let it generate hope. It's not a candle. It's a candle that leads us to something deeper, a faith. That's what it's for. Okay, let's jump into the story of the announcers. You heard Luke 2 read. So let's look at the major characters in the story in in order to understand the surprise. Luke begins with a simple statement. 
Here's what Luke says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Now, you've heard the story so many times you skip right over that and get to the good parts, right? No, no, no. This is the only time in the New Testament that uh, a Caesar is mentioned by name. Right here. Why would Luke specifically mention Caesar Augustus? Why would he do that? He's the only one that did it. And I'm going to argue that he's doing it to set the stage to really understand the story in the first century. Remember, the shepherds were the only one that saw this. They obviously talked about it or Luke would have never got the story. This is written 35, 40 years later, after the fact. And we're all living in Jerusalem or wherever we are in Israel, and we haven't heard the story yet. Or maybe we've heard people talking about it. And so he writes it down so we get to hear the actual story of what happened. The problem that we're always fighting against in our world is that we've heard the story so many times it's familiar to us. So I'm always trying to find ways to recapture it so that it makes sense. So picture that you're living in a world under Roman occupation. And we'll get into Caesar in just a minute, what he talked about. But life was brutally hard for you. Do you know what the average lifespan in the first century for a Roman peasant was? It's only about 28 years. And it was brutal hard work. It was brutal hard work. Where are you going to find hope? It's not like the world we live in today. And so you're hearing the story for the first time. And you hear, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree. Now, you know about Caesar Augustus. Just like today, we know about our politicians, don't we? We know a lot about them. Politicians never change. Caesar's no different. Okay, let me tell you some things about Caesar. Um, he built the Roman Forum. During his time, he founded libraries, he sponsored lavish parties for the people. Some things never change, right? That's what he did. He was the first emperor to encourage a cult to deify his name and his legacy. From this time on, the emperors were considered one of the gods. And so when, you, when, when the later epistle and the later authors of the New Testament say Jesus is Lord, what they're doing is they're counteracting Caesar is Lord. Because that was the saying that everybody had to say, Jesus is Lord. And then when they said, no, Jesus is Lord, they were, they were basically telling everybody to rebel against the Roman Empire. Sedition. And it could cost them their lives. And Caesar Augustus is the one that did this. He was hailed, and we found this in one of the inscriptions, he was hailed as a God whose birthday, quote, signaled the beginning of good news for the world. Good news. Same word we have here. Good news. Through various inscriptions in the first century, we know a lot about him. He was hailed as God. He was hailed as Son of God. He was hailed as the Savior. He was associated with peace, hope, good news. Every Caesar had good news. Okay? By the way, that term is where we get evangelicalism, evangelism. It all comes from the same root Greek word for good news. That's the word that Caesar used. I have good news for you. We have the same thing today. Every president, since I've been born, has the State of the Union speech. I'm still waiting for the president to get up there and say, you know what, the world is an absolute mess and we have no idea what to do about it. That's never happened, is it? He'd lose the presidency that fast. Or she. No, they get up there and say, let me tell you, we got it all figured out. The world's under control. Everything's good. That's what the Caesars did. They're good news. So all these words would have been familiar to you in the first century that you're about to hear in the story. The story of Jesus' birth. But more than that, let's move on. 
talk about the shepherds. Here's the surprise. The shepherds were nomads who lived outside in the open countryside. They are separated from human communities and cultures for long periods of time. They were very little, had very little contact with civilization. This led to suspicion and scorn on the part of the general population because they weren't part of us. They're just these weird people out there. Because of their prolonged absences, they were disqualified from being legal witnesses. One third century rabbi commented about the shepherds this way. There is no more despicable occupation in the world than that of shepherds. That's a Jewish rabbi saying that. The Mishnah and the Talmud, both are Jewish writings that help them understand the Hebrew scriptures, what we refer to as the Old Testament. Here's what they said. They both listed shepherds along with gamblers and tax collectors as among the most despised trades. So now you just hear the story that there were shepherds out in the country keeping watch over their flocks, and an angel of the Lord appeared to Caesar. Oh, wait, that's not what it says. Appeared to the most despised people in the culture of that day. Is that a surprise? That's a surprise. Here's one of the surprises of Christmas. And we learn that God does go to the poor. He does, and the lowly. And that's what he did here. This sets up, Luke's story sets up one of the most, the greatest contrasts in world history of the greatest man in the Roman Empire and the lowliest despised people. Which one is the angel going to go to? He goes to the shepherds. The New Testament consistently holds up shepherds with very high regard. And it eventually becomes the primary symbol for pastors and elders. We are to shepherd the flock of God. It's okay for us to be despised. I love sitting in coffee shops and bars talking to people. And when I tell them I'm a pastor, I love the eye roll. Oh, boy. That gives me the chance to open the door wide open and say, I just saw that. What happened in your life that you think so poorly of what I just said? And the stories I get to hear are incredible. Incredible. So it's okay for us to be despised a little bit because we know the truth. So then we have the message. So those are the two primary characters. Augustus, Caesar Augustus, set up against the shepherds. Let's talk about the message, but first let's read it. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Okay, pause. You're out on the countryside, no lights, hadn't been invented yet. All you have is stars, and it's dark. You have stars, and all of a sudden an angel appeared in the glory of the Lord, which is a brilliant light, by the way, appears out of nowhere. Would you be terrified? I think so. Yeah, they were terrified. Angel said to them, don't be afraid. Um, (coughs) Excuse me. Don't be afraid. This is one of the most often repeated commands in the Bible, by the way. Do not be afraid. God says it over and over and over and over and over again. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. I bring you, shepherds, good news that's going to result in joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The announcement was accompanied 
by the glory of the Lord. Now remember, the, Lord, the glory of the Lord had not appeared for over 400 years. And Ezekiel had left the temple and had not come back. They rebuilt the temple under Ezra and Nehemiah, but the glory of the Lord never came back. They knew. Their sin had to be forgiven for that to happen. And all of a sudden, the glory now appears to a bunch of lowly shepherds. It's interesting that it didn't appear in the temple in Jerusalem, just over the mountain. Nor did it appear at the manger scene. It appeared to these shepherds. That's where the glory of the Lord first shows up. Many of the prophets connected the glory of the Lord with the coming Messiah, the first advent. Isaiah is no different. Let's read Isaiah. This is in Isaiah 40. And it's in the last part when he's rem- they're coming back from the exile now. And he's letting them know what's going to happen in the future. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Now remember, they've been in exile for 50 years. Not heard a word from the Lord except through the prophets. And they're discouraged. They're despondent. And so Isaiah is one of those prophets that comes to give them a message. The Lord has not forgotten you. So here's what he's telling them about the future. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed and that her sin has been paid for. This is what happened on the cross 400 years later. That she has received from the Lord's hand double for all of her sins. He blessed her, in other words. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up. Every mountain and hill made low. Every rough ground shall become level. The rugged places of plain and the glory of the glory of the Lord will be revealed. Isaiah saying, don't give up hope. The glory of the Lord will come back. It'll be revealed. All the people will see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So this was accompanied. That's a key part of the story. And this is a surprise. The shepherds were a surprise. And now the glory of the Lord is a surprise. Because the glory of the Lord came back. Emmanuel, God with us. He did not forget us. He remembered his promise. That's why we celebrate communion every Sunday. To remind us every Sunday, he remembered us. He didn't forget us. But then it says the announcement was good news. So this counteracts Caesar's self-promotion and uses the same word. The good news. But what we're finding out, this is a surprise, is that what you hear from Caesar is not the truth. It's an illusion. Here's the good news. By the way, you can apply that principle today. What you hear from our government is not the good news. This is the good news. Don't put your hope in the wrong place. We'll get back to the four against series after Christmas. We're pausing for Advent. doesn't matter to me where you stand politically. Don't place your hope in the wrong place. This is the true good news right here. The proclamation of the good news in the Roman Empire was connected. Whenever the Caesar used that word, good news, he used it for things like the birth of an heir, the coming of the age of his son, the accession of his son to the throne, any of the Caesars to the throne, great victories. Okay, That's how they knew that the gods were on their side because they won military victories, and that was good news. So this good news was used around the, uh, around the empire to show the greatness of the... Uh, 
the empire, specifically the elites. The Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, they talked about that regularly. Look what we've done, the Caesar said. We've built all these great houses, these great buildings, and we've established peace. Yeah, and they killed a whole lot of people along the way. And they enslaved a whole lot of people along the way. And life for a Roman citizen was pretty bitter. It was not a happy life. So it was good for somebody. Just not the average people. So can you see how this good news generates joy? Because he goes to the shepherds. He doesn't go to the Caesar. doesn't go to the senators. He goes to the most despised. And they begin to tell the story. Let us tell you the story of truth. The surprise of Christmas. That there really is good news. And it's God's good news. What, what, what the angel did was completely redefined the concept of good news for the people of God. It's no longer based in political realities and ideologies. It's now based on a God who cares about us. Not only that, then the announcement brings joy, great joy. This is in contrast to the joy found in the Roman Empire. The joy that's brought about by God himself is deeply satisfying. Luke uses this language all throughout Luke of joy as a major theme in his gospel because he got it. Serving the one true God does bring joy. The joy doesn't come because we have the right people in office. It doesn't come that it doesn't come because we have the right boss or the right spouse. Joy comes because we serve the true God. And you all know what that's like. We all go through cycles. You go through phases where just for a brief moment you wonder how you could ever doubt. Because the joy feels so real to you. Just for a brief moment in your marriage everything works perfectly. Then you're back to the who are you again? <laughs> right? We go through these, this, this, this journey, don't we? And so those, those glimpses of joy are designed to teach you to look forward to what's coming. What's coming is spectacular. And so this was another surprise. The joy didn't come because of what the Roman Empire was doing. It comes because of who God is. The announcement occurred today. Today. In the city of David, today, the advent of the Messiah had come. This word is used by Jesus throughout his ministry to describe his own ministry. In Luke chapter 4, for example, he, he just came out of the temptation in the desert and he walks into the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth. And they say, hey, you read the scriptures today. So he takes a scroll. He didn't have modern versions with chapters and all that. Scroll of Isaiah and he unscrolls and he finds it where it says, you know, and he starts talking about bringing sight to the blind, care, love for the poor, release the captives. And when he finishes reading that, he sits down and says the most blasphemous thing they could think of. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. What he's saying is, I am the Messiah. Today, the scripture is fulfilled. Well, then we see it again a little bit later in Luke twenty three forty three. He's hanging on the cross, the criminal on the other side. And one of them says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Truly, I tell you, Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. So much of scripture is focused on life today and really looking forward and, and enjoying the presence of the Lord today. And when you taste those moments of joy that come, Enjoy it. 
Enjoy it. That's that expectancy that Advent should bring. This is what life is like today, but we know something is coming. Something is coming far better. Then the final part of the story is the heavenly host appeared. Okay, we often just kind of get past this. Picture just for a moment. You're sitting there in a theater production. Somebody's talking and the curtain raises and the whole bunch of people are behind you. That's what happened. The glory of the Lord shone around them while the angel was giving them the message. And suddenly a heavenly host appears. Legions and legions and legions. Thousands and thousands and thousands of angels are there. Praising God. I can't even imagine what that would have been like for those poor, terrified shepherds. No wonder they ran to, left the sheep behind and said, we got to go see this, the baby. Next thing they knew is they show up. But this word for host is a military word. It's an army. That's the word used to, to describe an army. They could have very easily translated it, and all of a sudden an army appeared. A very, very, very large army. Now here's another surprise. In contrast to the Roman army, this army has not come to wreak destruction and terror. Now remember, in the Roman Empire, you had Roman legions everywhere you went. That's how they maintained law and order. The Roman legions. They were not necessarily nice people either. So they're in your town, and they're keeping you under control. That's how they managed peace, through force. This army didn't come to wreak destruction and terror or to use force, but to bring good tidings and peace. True peace. True peace. To protect us, Satan, and to give glory to God. That's the story. It's full of surprises, isn't it? We have more to see over the weeks to come. Okay, let me give you a couple of thoughts. Just to, what do we make of all this? The proclamation of the announcers, the angels to the shepherds, and then the shepherds to the world, that's how we have it recorded. The proclamation of the announcers presented God's alternative to Roman imperial ideology and the Roman cult. It was directly contrasting what they had been hearing all their lives, using the same words but redefined with much better language. And so the people had a chance to finally say, we don't have to believe Roman imperiology. We serve the one true living God. That's the Christmas story. That's one of the surprises. Jesus in Luke quotes Isaiah 61 verse 1 twice that the good news is preached to the poor. He did it when uh, John the Baptist came to him. His, his disciples said, are you the one? And his answer was, go tell John what you see. The poor are being cared for. That's the quote of Isaiah 61. Yeah, he is the Messiah. If you lived in this time period, you would have been amazed that God sent his son in the midst of Roman occupation. It was a terrible life for most people. Disease, death, terror, enslavement. It was a ter terrible life. And that's the world into which God revealed his son. So as you think about your kids and how to have the story, this story is um, its one of the core stories of the gospel, the gospels that reveal to us the truth about what is going on, not what we see around us. Don't be deceived. Our county looks fantastic, and I love living here, but it is an illusion. 
in all the hundreds of conversations I've had with people in the six and a half years, you know what they all have in common? Unhappiness. They're trying to solve it through self-medication, drugs, alcohol, skiing. Bob Petrick noticed in the first service I didn't say jeeping. Well, of course not. Why would I say jeeping? <laughs> jeeping, yeah, four-wheel driving. Because <laughs> I'm part of the four-wheel drive club. Then think about the way all of our people are working to grab happiness. And it's right there in front of them. They can't even see it. That's the story of Christmas. That's the story of Advent. Don't be deceived. Enjoy. Take your time this Advent season and enjoy the presence of the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. We never tire of saying that. We are so grateful that you are God. We are so privileged and so so pleased to be known as your children. Thank you for blessing us. Some of us are going through a hard time, like the Altorfers and others as well. them, Help us to love them well. And help us to be the type of people that bring to our neighbors what you brought to the shepherds, the good news of a Savior. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.